All right. So for today's episode, we're going to be talking about our deepest struggles. And we're going to get a little vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, there might be a little bit of vulnerability there. Oh, there's going to be plenty. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about like the past and, and current. Yeah. Right. So not only just because sometimes it can be easy, e- easier to sort of talk about things that you've experienced in the past and um, feel like you've gotten top over or, or moved through. Right. Mm. Much easier than sort of what you're you're going through right now or maybe what you're learning about yourself or challenges or obstacles or just really difficult things that you're learning about yourself at the time. Right. They're, they're a little bit more confronting to talk about. And I think the importance of us being able to do this is so that um, people don't ever sort of expect that, well, you know, to some degree we have that shit together, Mm. that we're human just like everyone else. You know, I might at times seem to think that maybe I'm a little bit other earthly in 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 the way that I view myself. But um, again, it's just to create that, that, that level of humanness. And, um, and hopefully people can resonate and, and maybe even see that like, oh, it's cool to see like the process of being able to have these sorts of experiences and be able to move through, right? Because typically a lot of people when they're in it, it's like there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of like lack of hope that things can get better or you can move yeah. through them or you can progress through them, right? So um, we're not short on those experiences. I don't think anyone else, anyone's going to be. No, absolutely not. Yeah. So, and, and you would have, you would have gone through a fair few, um, having been in the modeling world, uh, and being, you know, working in self-development and mindfulness and, mm. you know, doing ACT and like different forms of sort of coaching. Um, you have to realize a lot about yourself. That's that the best coach is always there. The, the first person is there is themselves and they're the biggest guinea pig. Right. Mm. It's like you've experienced what's been really, really beneficial to you. And uh, I think that's, all, that's a, a massive reason as to why do people typically go into coaching. It's like, well, I've found things that have been really, really beneficial and useful to me in my struggles. And mm. while we talk a lot about those practices, it's like, yeah, there was definitely a lot more time where we were going through things. And even presently, right? To ex- And so people can expect that, you know, it's always going to be a journey. You're always going to no matter how much you think you know yeah, or you've the, experienced. The, the shit never stops. And that's the beautiful thing about this journey. It is the journey and not the destination. And when you think you've got there, think again because it will smack you so nicely. And that's the thing. When you levels new devils, we've heard the ego rises, so does the knowledge rises, so does the ego. Knowledge rises, so does the ego. So it's about learning it, emptying the cup, learning it, emptying the cup, Learning it, I'm seeing the cup. Yeah. And that's a big part of the learning process. It's mm-hmm. learning, sharing, and divulging. Mm-hmm. But also being able to own and accept, you know, all the other stuff that you've had to work through along the way, right? But you were in modeling for such a long time, and that strikes me as an industry where uh, it's, not as, it's not as cut and dry as I, I take amazing pictures and I do amazing videos mm-hmm. and I get to do these cool things and I get to travel and I get to – and again, I think maybe the modeling scene is a little bit more different than it was during, you know, the main time of which you were modeling, right? Very, very different. Social media has sort of changed the game Relax. a little bit. I'm trying to act like I'm like super old. <laughs> like I'm dinosaur. Wow. 
Well, wow. Um, but like, yeah, it's not roses. Like my girlfriend's a model, and I get to see. You know, it's it's not all just like, the lifestyle and like taking cool photos and sit and meeting cool people and like blah blah blah. Right? Absolutely not. So you. You spend a fair bit of time traveling around, and and dare say, I probably a lot of a lot of people would have looked at you and gone, "Oh fuck me, I'd trade places with this guy in a heartbeat." Mm. But there's always these little do little do you know, right? Yeah, yeah, man. My biggest struggle, if we're gonna go straight into the biggest struggles, my biggest struggle was 2008 in LA. I just got signed to LA Models. And they signed me for three years, got an O-1 visa. And my dream, I waited a good three or four months maybe for that visa to come through. And um, that's it. I thought I had made it. My dreams were going to happen. I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to make it as an actor. Uh, I'm going to be a big model. I'm going to keep traveling around the world. And then when I become famous, my plan is to then impact the world and support people around the world. And I thought that the idea was become famous so that you have a voice and then you can impact the world. So that was like a, a means to an end? Yeah, like my, my idea was that if I become an actor, because I was really into self-development already before that, right? So I was like, if I become an actor, then I'm going to have to learn about myself. So I started acting. Because the best actors were able to go into different emotions and, and act in certain ways. And that's what I thought. That was the idea that I had, right? So I was like, if I become an actor and I make it, so if I become an actor and I make it, then people are going to literally see me and go, wow, they're going to listen to me. And then if they listen to me, then I'm going to be able to impact and influence people. So I thought I had to go here in order to go here, which is what I really wanted to do was impact people. You didn't, so you didn't feel like you could impact people Unless you had clout, n notoriety, a big following. Well, I did. I, I didn't even know what a following was back then. Like Instagram wasn't. Well, again, there. So you just <laughs> proved my point, right? True story. <laughs> yes. Instagram wasn't around until, what year did Instagram come out? Oh, I don't know. It started, but you got to remember. 2011? It, it started off as a, a photography app. Yeah. And then it transmuted into what it was now. Yeah. So when it got started to get used as what it is now, it was probably a few years after what it actually initially got started as. Yeah. So yeah, back then Instagram wasn't around. Like we didn't have to post certain things. It was like, if you're showing up and you're a professional and you did your job well, you're going to book more jobs. It wasn't like based on your following. Yeah. You had to go around with a book. You had your photos, you had your yeah, we, whatever, and you had to show up at the door, go on there. Whereas... Yeah. Again, the landscape's changed a little bit where it's like some people's photo book is just basically their social media, right? Yeah. It's like people aren't getting invited to castings unless they have a big following. So it's changed a hell of a lot. Wow. So back in the day when I was in LA, I literally, why I say it was the biggest struggle is because I got to LA, I, I just found a place in West Hollywood. I was living between Sel in Selma Avenue and that was right between Sunset Boulevard and Hollywood Boulevard, just off Fairfax. So for those of you that know LA, it's like right in the hub. And um, I needed a car, so I bought a car straight off. And um, I did one job, and one of the models that drove me home, he was actually one of the actors, lead actors in um, Save the Last Dance. And um, he drove me home, and he had a Honda Type R. So I was looking at this car, and I was like, this is sick. So I went and bought the same car. 
but a silver one. He had a black one. And um, I was like, whatever. I just put 16 grand on it. I was like, I'll pay the rest off later because I know I've got money coming in. And then two months later, a recession hits and literally everything dried up and I was desperate for work. I was literally working three jobs a week. And I'm not talking modeling jobs. I was talking like I was going to work as a model at Abercrombie and Fitch. And what were you doing at Abercrombie? I was standing at the front saying hello to people. With, with your shirt on or off? No, I had my shirt on actually. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. But there was models that had their shirt off and they got paid a lot more money. And I <laughs> did consider that. Actually, that's where I met Preston. Yeah. Because um, Preston was one of the models with his shirt off. That's when me and Preston actually met and started hanging out, like 14 years ago, right? At Abercrombie. And um, Abercrombie was full. It was all models or actors that were there trying to make it. So everybody was in the same industry, right? And it was cool to meet people and stuff, but literally it was like slave labor. Like I was working for, I think it was like eight or nine dollars an hour, but I was getting insurance and I was working 30 hours a week just to get insurance because insurance was expensive. Now think about that. 30 hours a week, you're making about 300 bucks a week because you get insurance. So I already put myself in this space of like, I have to do this to survive. So I'm coming from lack as well, right? So the jobs are dried up and then I'm doing... I'm working for a company called Beautiful Bartenders where they only hire models or actors and you get hired to be at fancy like dinners, people's houses. I was going to Malibu. I was going to places in uh, Bel Air and I'm working in these mansions. I'm, I'm working at these bar mitzvahs in the Hollywood Hills and they're huge, like two tennis courts, there's discos, there's dancers and I'm like one of the catering staff and you're making $25 an hour to do that. And you may work shift of four hours. And every time she would message, hey, who wants work? I was the first person to respond. Yes, yes, yes. And then I was modeling and doing the modeling job. Hardly ever. So LA was like one of those places for me that taught me so much about what I'm about. And it also taught me about confidence. Because the moment I got there, I was confident. The moment I stopped working and I stopped making money, I lost confidence. My steam dropped. And then all of a sudden, I'm like questioning and doubting everything. And you know how it feels. You know how it feels when doubt creeps in mm. and it starts creeping in one part of your life and then it starts touching every other part of your life and you start to question everything. And you're like, holy shit. Even the, even the stuff that you've quite consistently believed you've, you've, you've got a grip, good grip on mm. for a long amount of time, even that starts to... That narrative starts to creep in as well. Everything, because if I based, I based my worth on my money, how much money I was making. I was making good money before that. When I was in Hong Kong, I worked really well. When I was in Singapore, I worked really well. When I was in Australia, I started working already. So it was, all on, it was kind of like all on the quantifiable, yeah, right? Everything that could be measured, the amount of customers I was going to, yeah. the amount of money that I was making, uh, this and that. Yeah. And then all of it. So w do you say like, all your self-worth was hitched on two or three sort of things that were not really within your, totally within your control. Yeah, it wasn't in my control at all. And what, what I thought I had control of, actually I had no control of. That's the funny thing about control is that the more you think you have control, the more you don't. And I was in an industry where I was thinking, just be positive, show up well, show up on time, do that. None of it mattered anymore. 
And I only realized that when I got to America and I was like, holy shit, I'm doing everything right. I'm being professional. I'm showing up on time. I'm working out. But the moment the stress hit and the moment the anxiety hit, it doesn't flow on camera. When I'm coming from a place of desperate fear, lack, anxiety, scarcity, and I go to a casting and I have to get this casting, otherwise I'm not gonna make I'm not gonna be able to survive for the next month. How does that show up on camera? You can't lie. Actions can't lie. Mm. If you're not feeling good inside, it's gonna come straight through on the camera. So when I was going for castings, I was going like when I was in Australia, I was doing acting lessons and I was booking a lot of I was booking commercials. I was confident. I was like, I'm going to book this. I'm going to get this. And I practiced and practiced and I had fun with it. And that's the key. I think I had fun. And when I had fun with it, I was flexible. When I was in LA, I was stressed and I was in scarcity. And because when I was in scarcity and and stressed, it came across on camera. And guess what? My fears were actually showing up right in front of my face. So every single time I went for casting and I'm seeing actors that I recognize, then I compare myself. Shit. So-and-so from here. That guy I recognize from Entourage. Mm. That guy I recognize from Breaking Bad. That guy I recognize from so-and-so. And they're going for the same role as you. And this is what I'm saying. People, so many people say, fake it till you make it. It's bullshit. Don't fake it till you make it. Own it. Heal it. Transform it. And then show up with it. And so many of us try and do that. We just try and act our way through things. Energy doesn't lie. And being in LA, working three jobs, Abercrombie and Fitch, beautiful bartenders, uh, modeling, taught me about what it really means to be confident, what it really means to have self-esteem, not basing it on outside things. Now, at the time, I was in hell. I was like, why is this happening? Wrong question to ask. And when I had to go to the next stage and when I finally was like, you know what, I've had enough, I, I, st- I stuck around for a good year and a half. And when it really hit me, the ego hit me, was when my agency called me up one day and said, hey, we've got some models that are from out of town. Can you come and uh, do you want to earn some extra cash? And I said, yeah. They're like, can you drive them to the castings? And if you're not working at that time and it's like, oh, and you're watching all these other people, but not only are you watching these people go for castings, you're driving them to the casting. So it's like a massive kick in the nuts. It is a massive kick in the nuts. I'm literally driving you to your casting and I'm meant to be this international model and I'm working for $10 an hour. But I took it and I took it because I was like, I need to make money and I don't have a choice. My My back's against the wall. Did it, did it trigger you or did it like humble you or what? It triggered the shit out of me because my ego got smashed. Did you ever think about moving back to Australia? Or were you like, nah, I can't because then it's going to be like, it's me failing, right? Did that ever creep in? It did a couple of times that I was like, I haven't tried New York yet. So I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm already here. I might as well try New York and see. So... I left, I left LA and I was just like, you know what, maybe this is not my market, you know, cause LA is one of those places where it's like, you're either white, black, 
you're either white, black, Hispanic, or other. That's what they would get you to tick when you go to a casting. And I was always in there walking into the casting like, what, what, what do I tick? Because I'm Australian, but South African with parents that are Cape colored. So it was extremely confusing. And that's when I was like, well, okay, well, maybe I'm not working because I'm ambiguous and I don't fit into white or black or this or that. I'm not commercial enough. So I was like, maybe I'll try America. I'll try New York. So I go to New York and uh, I got an agency. I signed with major models. And they were a great agency, quite big. And um, a lot of their models would get campaigns with Ralph Lauren. Mm. And when I got there and I was like, okay, this is a new start. You know, it was real, it was real modeling. And I'm not to say that LA was fake modeling, but LA was way, way more geared towards actors and very commercial. New York was actual like fashion week, proper castings, where it was like what I was used to. And I ended up working a lot more in New York than I worked in LA. So automatically my, I learned from LA, cut down your expenses. Well, live, live below your means. Yeah, because what I did in LA is I went to LA and I just got a, an apartment for a pretty expensive apartment at the, you know, in, in West Hollywood. Then I got a car and I was just like, bills were just checking in, bills and bills and bills and bills. You know, it, it actually got to a point where my car got repossessed. Really? Yeah. Like, that was one of the worst days. Because I literally had moved out of my place and I was actually staying with Preston. And I was staying with him until I figured stuff out because I was going to move to New York. And they were chasing me for payments. And I couldn't keep up with the payments because I, was, I, I was trying to work as many days like, as I can. There wasn't enough hours in the day with how much money I was earning. And I wasn't getting any modeling jobs and I was waiting for checks to clear from modeling jobs that I had, but it was, it was taking so long to pay. And the, the companies were calling me like, Hey, we're, when's the next payment coming? I'm like, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. You know how that feels to mm. get chased constantly for money from someone? It was like the movies. If you had your time over again, would you, what would you have done differently as far as like the car? Right. Did you buy a car that was probably, uh, more than what you should have. Yeah. I didn't need it. You didn't need one. Well, I, need, I needed the car because you need to get the castings. I didn't need the kind of car. Like, I didn't need to spend $25,000 on a car. Yeah. But well, we see so many people do that. Yeah. Like, we see so many people. Um, I've seen so many people in network marketing mm. come into new money. And they've got some of them are, are earning exorbitant amount of money. But their IQ, their financial IQ, puts them in even more financial stress, even though they're earning more money, like 10 times, 15 times more, more income hmm. than maybe at one point that they were, you know, seven, eight, ten 12, times more. But their lifestyle is no less stressful because they've just overextended, yeah. putting themselves in this trap, right? I've seen, definitely seen that a lot. People really just put themselves in tight positions just not being a little bit more frivolous. And that's, again, that's a bit massive ego thing, right? It's like my identity teacher on this and these would look, look like this, this and that. But then the quality of our lifestyle just takes a beating. Well, that's, that's what took a beating. It looked all good. So imagine this. Did you feel like you had to maintain it? Yeah, you, you, you had the car. I, I didn't think like, shit, I should get rid of the car because I was like, I need a car. But 
you got the car, you can barely afford to drive it. Because I was barely struggling. And then, and then on the other hand, every single week, maybe every second week or at least once a week, I get a parking ticket. Because I don't know if you've seen the signs in LA. There's like, don't park here before this time, but not before this time, but not after this time, but not They're confusing. Like There's they, a lot <laughs> happening in LA that's very confusing. Oh, yeah. So it, to us. It just got me so like to the point where, and don't park here on a Tuesday and on a Wednesday it changes and it, sometimes you forgot. How many times I got parking fines and like bills were building up, building up, building up. And when you're coming from lack and scarcity because you're in fear, like, you know, I'm trying to make money, it just accumulates and gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you actually go, I need to change something. So one day I was, I was, I was at Preston's and uh, they said to me, where are you? And I said, oh, I'm staying at my friend's place. And they said, where is it? And I just gave the address stupidly. I woke up the next morning. I said, I'm staying in, um, I think he was staying in Korea, just off Koreatown at the time. I said, I'm staying in, you know, Koreatown. I didn't even think about it. I don't know how they, the next morning I went out to the see where my car was. It was gone. My heart dropped into my stomach. They took it. That did, was huge ego hit. Did you like ever feel like you're a victim? Like, did you have a get into a victim mentality at all? Nah, this, this is a different. I did, but I I didn't blame them. I beat myself up. I was like, how stupid can you be to first give the address? But I was also like, how did like I couldn't see anything around it. I was just like, this is so fucked. And I was like, what was lucky for me is that the people that sold me the car, because I didn't have credit, because I wasn't from America, mm. they actually, and didn't tell me, that they actually were a, what would you call it, um, a guarantee? Yeah. Guarantor. So they basically vouched for me if I couldn't take the payments. I didn't know that. So if I stopped paying it a while ago, they would have to take care of it. So I didn't know that. And um, yeah, they sold me the car and then uh, because I didn't have credit because you can't just buy a car unless it's all cash. That's why I gave like 16 grand cash. They were like, we'll take care of the rest. But you have to pay it off monthly. And I was like, okay, cool. So I ended up moving to New York. And from there, like started working more. I, you know, I worked way more effectively. It still wasn't like amazing, but it was a lot I could survive in LA. Uh, sorry, New York. And from me surviving in New York, I was able to like get my money back up and, and you know, I did fashion week, I did other jobs there. But what I realized again, it was like, then it was one of those things where I was like, what am I doing? And I watched a movie and it's probably funny you laugh at this, but it was um, Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> I only watched that when I moved to Bali because everyone used to make references to that and have jokes. So I was like, I better have, better watch this. Yeah. Yeah. But that movie made me reflect so much because it was obviously, I don't know if anyone, if you haven't seen it, watch it, but it gave me really such a massive perspective shift because the girl that was like having the shift in that moment, she, I remember her looking outside of her apartment in New York and she's looking out to the Hudson River. Julia Roberts. Yeah. And it was the exact same view because I was living on the Hudson River. I had an apartment with one of my friends and 
I'll let you can see the Statue of Liberty from there. And I'm looking at the same view she's looking at. And I, I tripped out because I'm like looking at the movie. And then I look at the window at the same view and I'm like, this is trippy as. And I was just like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? So it's like a cross crossroads moment. Yeah. In that moment, I literally saw myself. You know, sometimes you can watch a movie and go, I can relate to that. I was literally looking at the same thing. Yeah. And I said, I've got to, I've got to get out of here. And I signed with another agency with Wilhelmina Models. And from there, they were like, we're going to sponsor you. They're going to do my visas and everything like that. They just said to me, just don't go into an ashram, grow a beard and not come back. And that happened except for the beard. Because yeah, you can't grow a beard. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's could probably grow maybe a slight goatee. It's perfectly just shaped. Yeah. How it does. But yeah, so anyways, that was one of my biggest struggles, man. And then... Ended up going to India for two years. So that's always a sign of someone that's just gone through something, right? It's like they just end up in India. I need to get spiritual. Anyone that like ends up <laughs> in India, like for months, is just like they've had something that's like kind of triggered them into into this uh, needing this awakening sort of moment, or like a or reevaluating of of uh, values or or uh, direction. For sure. It's, it's one of the most spiritual places in the world. So it's, it, it, as much as I, I thought I was only going to be in India for like three months and it ended up turning into two years. I was doing Vipassana and uh, I was with a monk in, in Leh Ladakh, which is like in the mountains. And I had to ask myself these questions. What do I want? What is it? Am I going to go back to America? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? Am I going to go back with this agency? And I really had to sit and sit into meditation. And, and I think that's what got me through the struggle. And I think for everyone listening or watching, it's to ask yourself, if you're going through an uncertain time or you're going through a struggle right now as well, ask yourself, when you're still, be present and go, what is it that I want to create? Who do I want to become? There is so many people out there that are not living a fulfilled life because they think that they can't have it or they don't deserve it. And this is why we did this episode because we're, we're, hum we're as human as you. We're, we all have the same insecurities, the same, the same lack of fears and judgments about ourselves, if not more. And from that experience of India, I don't want to go too far into India, but from that experience, it got me to really look at what I'm doing with my life. And that's when I started doing like more yoga. I was already doing yoga before, but I really, I did my yoga like teacher training. And from there, started to, uh, started my life coaching course, which was an online program for the next two years. And here we are today. How many years ago was that? New York was... 10 years ago. And in, so India, eight. India was, yeah, yeah. I went to India Tuesday, so it was eight years ago in India. Yeah. So it was massive learnings. Um, but I'm so glad I went through it. At the time, I was like, I hate this. I was at the worst part of my life. I was broken, not confident. Just questioning everything but i had to go through it in order to come where, where i'm at now and that has made me who i am today and that has made me stronger in who i am today and understanding my values and what do i value and 
you know, what I realized is that that's not the lifestyle that I want. I don't need to have the extravagant things. I love, like, this is why I live in Bali. The fact that I don't have to wear shoes. I wear a scooter. My lifestyle is way more important to me than having, uh, and there's no disrespect to people that have material things, but than having material things. And it's not to say I don't like material things, but I don't think it's more important than me and my happiness. Yeah. So it's just like you just, you're trying to live within a different value set and placing maybe things as more of a priority that I've quite clearly weren't. I was living in, in something where I didn't know my values. When I, my mind thought that if I got this, then I would be happy, like a lot of us do. I was thinking when I achieve this, when I get this, when I make the million dollars, when I have this, then I'm going to be happy and successful. And it looked great from the outside because people from watching from Australia were seeing this and seeing me on pictures and billboards and this. And Emil's doing so great. Oh, my God. He's, he's so lucky. Little did you know, Emil was struggling. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that, that whole world, it's just like, it's, it's so fascinating. It's just like, you just got to put yourself in front of these people and just let them stare you up and down. And just like, it's such a, I don't know how, how I'd go with just like walk in front of like a panel of people and have them just staring with a notebook, taking notes on how I look. Yeah. And, um, that whole concept is, is, is fascinating to me. But it was great. It, was, it, was, it really taught me so much about myself. Like I want to write a book about it because I think the whole experience taught me about acceptance. It taught me about learning how to be unattached from the job if I didn't get the job, how it didn't affect my self-esteem in the end. It taught me about resilience. It taught me about people skills, how to open up conversations. Like I started reading books on self-development back then because I was like, how can I communicate? How can I connect? How can I become that person that they mm. remember? So that, that in a sense became the catalyst mm. and for a lot of your own change yeah. that if you didn't experience that, you may not have had the opportunity to develop those traits, which typically a lot of people develop the traits when they've been for their backs being forced up against the wall. Yeah. It's like, Okay, yeah, you, I'm going to have to grow. I'm going to have to develop this trait. I'm going to have to. It's a matter of, it's a matter of survival in a sense. Yeah, if you check into the, most of the speakers that are big now, and even like the biggest, one of the biggest life coaches in the world, Tony Robbins, he's a coach now because he had an abusive mother. Not many people know that. Most of the speakers, most of the coaches that are teaching now have gone through something themselves. The reason why I'm an emotional intelligence coach is because I was shit with my emotions because I didn't know how to regulate. I didn't know how to respond. I would react. I would take shit personal. So this is what I'm saying is like it's, it's everyone that's at the, where they're at now started from somewhere. They had a drive. They had a desire. Well, that's a, that's a big thing with, I think so many people, they, they think they need to get over their inadequacies and their insecurities uh, for them to find their purpose. Mm. So it's like, okay, I'm going to, I want to find my purpose, I, but what's getting in the way is my inadequacies and the things that I 
judge myself on and all this stuff and the things that I don't like about myself and all these things when it's a good chance that your purpose is is in that mm. right what are your insecurities and inadequacies do you have an opportunity to be able to overcome them and then do you then have an opportunity to be able to use that as an outlet to show people how exactly you were able to do that mm. you know so I think that's that, that's that's the funny thing of like and I know for me like a lot of my inadequacies and uh, things that I didn't really like about myself they ended up being the catalyst for so much so much of the good in my life right that if I didn't have that happen I wouldn't have the influence I have I wouldn't be able to relate as much um, and again like it provided it provided me with purpose, but it, at the time you, you you don't really see it as that. You see it as like, oh, this is getting in the way. Mm. This is an issue. This is annoying me because I can't progress if I'm dealing with these things as opposed to what well, it ended up setting me up for the best years of my life. Absolutely. So let's go into your struggle, Mr. Ben James Kelly. Uh, well, if anyone, if anyone has seen me speak at, event mm. uh i'm sure there's a couple there well there's a number of people that over the years would have seen me start crying in front of large amounts of people mm. uncontrollably um almost like clockwork right um i think you probably i think the first time you saw, you, you saw me i think that was one of those occasions mm. um uh, for, for a lot of people who do know me, they know my story. Quite open on a lot of my stuff. I think I think hopefully if you're tuning in, um, it's a, probably a big reason why you're showing up because I, I like to think that I'm pretty I'm pretty transparent and pretty open with all, a whole bunch of things. Mm. Um, probably in my mid twenties, str- struggled had a had a bit of a, a bout with depression. Right, so I I grew up. Uh, as the only man in the house of four women, mum, single mum, mm. three younger sisters, uh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I grew up in the necessarily the the safest area, mm. but definitely not the not safest area in Perth. Yeah, yeah, and um, I don't know where I developed it. It just became a thing where it was like. Uh, my role is to just make sure that your family is safe and sweet and looked after and attended to and protected at all costs, yeah. right? And I remember when I was younger, like I lived in fear, like I had this compulsive sort of disorder where um, I, if I stepped on a crack, something was going to happen, something bad was going to happen to my family. Mm. If I didn't attempt this jump on my bike that I was not going to be able to make, that something bad was going to happen. My whole days were like governed by something in my head telling me, do this or something bad is going to happen. And that was my way of me as a young man gaining some sense of psychological safety for myself because mm. I didn't feel as though I had that and I took on all that burden and it was like, well, I just live perpetually in fear of just something bad happening to them, something bad happening to them. And it just got my whole life. I ended up having like a breakdown when I was um, really young. 
Probably. Oh, I can't remember. I, I probably would have, I might have been around 10, 11. Something like that. Did you, so, know, did you know it was a breakdown? Yeah, because I just was, I, I was in my room crying just, I was just, it was like I had a voice in my head just completely dictating every waking hour of my day, mm. making me do stuff to compensate for my fear. It was like that's how I felt like, oh, nothing's going to happen. Mm. This will happen, all that, right? Get to here before this happens. And it was just like everything was governed by that and I just had a breakdown. I said to my mom, I can't, like, I can't, like I'm crying. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Just like what? It's just like my brain keeps telling me to do these things that to make sure that you guys are safe because I didn't feel any power. You're a young kid. Mm -hmm. I don't have an ability to earn and I don't have – I'm not big. I don't have physical power. I have no way of, of protecting them or making sure they're sweet. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't have any of that, I didn't have anyone in my life that made me feel like they could – I took that on, but I just wasn't in a position to be able to provide any of it. So I gained it psychologically and it, and it formed into a compulsive disorder, mm. right? Everything then became governed by that because that's how I and felt safe. So that's why I, I formed this. I, would, I was quite comfortable to do things that were dangerous to, that would affect me, that could cause me harm, that would, that would protect, uh, potentially hurt me, or, but it meant that psychologically I felt that oh, I fulfilled that, that that won't happen. It's mm. like a, it, it, right. It's ridiculous. It's like this ultimate thing of like I'm trying to control everything around me, but it's ultimately like you were anxious as well. You must have been anxious. No, I just I I just my worst nightmare was something bad happened to my family. Yeah, like I remember, and again, like we talk about, like um, I'd pray like every day, and I still I, I said this prayer in my head that many times. You used to pray. Yeah, I, I mean, I grew, I, I went to a Catholic primary school. Ah. Yeah, so I started off and slowly over down the tracks did I deviate away from mm. that. Um, but I used to remember I'd go to bed every day, I'd kneel down, I'd say pray, dear God, uh, if any, uh, please make sure that my, my family have a long, loving, fulfilling, fun, enjoyable, safe life. And if anything has to happen to anyone, let it be me. Mm. And this is like, I'm, I'm a young kid mm. and I'm already like, I, the thought of that happening was unbearable. Whereas just like my self-sacrifice was just far easier to, to feel as being the case. Right. Mm. Um, that transpired into adulthood. That that's, that transpired into adulthood where I, th I fell into, again, like the rigid uh, manhood sort of script, mm. right? And I was in a job that was not stable, not secure, dodgy boss, didn't get paid, weather was not good, couldn't work, didn't get paid because I was a bricklayer. Yeah. Um, materials didn't show up, didn't get paid. Um, and... I kind of fell into the ego trap. I was like, well, the thing that I need to do to make sure that I'm start forget is like get this loan and get get a mortgage and do all that thing. And that was like the the mindset and the mentality of a very blue collar sort of city. And that was the people around me. It's just like, you get a couple of cars, you do this, you get that. Make sure your family's good. 
couple a holiday a year, a couple cars, and you have family and right. So that's all I wanted. Mm. That was as, that was that that was to the extent of which I dreamed. Just some small level of security and safety for the people around me that I cared about. And I wasn't in a good enough financial position to be able to go and get a mortgage. So uh, my mother, who raised four kids as a single mum on, on a teacher salary, mm. had her house and that was her possession. The car we had at the time was like an old beaten down uh, Holden Commodore sedan, um, uh, wagon. Mm. Uh, every time the car would turn left, it would beep the horn. Uh, we'd be able to be able to get into it by just hitting the side of the door and the, and the little knob would pop up. So really we weren't, we weren't doing well. Yeah. Um, that was growing up and then sort of as I got older, I couldn't prove – with the banks, it's like you need to prove that you don't need their money to get their money. Yeah. And I quite clearly couldn't do that. So, I, again, I had to put my mum's house up as guarantor. So that if I reneged, the potential was like I, I thought that I was doing the right thing, but then that quickly transpired into um, feeling like I'd put them at risk. Mm. And I'm in an unstable job, no safety in it, no security in it. I'm not on wages. I'm not getting holiday pay. I'm not getting sick pay if I don't show up. And I can get fired at any point. Got this debt. This debt's attached to my mother's no. livelihood. Then it puts down so the exact same fear from when you were twelve years old, right? Yep, transpired. Yeah, and now, but now it's like I've thought that I've been in a position to to try and look at at improving financial situation and like training and becoming a little bit more physically predominant just to be able to in the physical sense be able to protect and nurture and all these things right um i felt like i had made them vulnerable i felt like i'd made my my family extremely vulnerable and i and i placed myself i i i judged myself very heavily for that Mm. and so i wasn't able to travel wasn't able to do anything because I had to have had to make sure that I could keep up with those payments. Mm. Go on travel. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen a month down the track. I might be at work. So allowed, I had no freedom. I had no choice. I literally worked. I trained to getting whatever slither of self worth that I had left, and I went home. And in my mid mid, I was like 23, 24, 25. Mm. I'm just fucking miserable like just rock like just it felt like rock bottom it felt like rock bottom mm. I felt like the script that I had written for me I wasn't fulfilling it like and that's I think that's a big thing with a lot of men it's like that we, we create this rigid script and if we if we deviate from it we're, we're a massive failure mm. we're just failing the people around me not fulfilling to what it is and uh, I found myself in that position and um Again, it then came back to that self-sacrifice. I, I couldn't see myself doing that job for another 40 years. Mm. I, my back was already ruined. I was already struggling body-wise. Um, low self-esteem, the whole, uh, across the board, mm. 
was was not happy about what I was earning, not happy about not being able to do the things I enjoyed. Again, like for a large part, not happy with the way that my body looked, really detrimental mindset. It just seemed like nothing was, nothing was, was good. And mm-hmm. I was like, to think that that's how I'd have to live for another 40 years was unbearable to think about. Yeah. And I was just like, and I could have done a lot of things like, you know, sell the house and all this sort of stuff and which I eventually did and took a massive loss on it just to get rid of it, just to, just to free myself up. But at one point I was like, okay, well, I start to plan how I should keep, like commit suicide. And it's- How old were you when you said I that? Was like 20, I was like 23, 24, 25, around about that. And what ran through your head? You were like, it would be easier if I commit suicide. I felt like I was going to be doing everyone around me a favor. So you felt like a burden. I felt like I'd made myself a burden. Yeah. yeah. I felt like I'd let them down. I felt like what my purpose in life, I wasn't doing a good job at. Yeah. So like, well, what, what's what, like, what what's are you here point? for? Right. Yeah. What's the point? And so I was like, I was like, well, what I'll do is if I get life insurance. So I went and got life insurance. No shit. Yeah. So I went and got life insurance. I'm like, I'll make this look like an accident. Yeah. They'll get pay out. At least there'll be some worth to like my life to them. And again, it was that, that was that fear. It was like, it was, it was almost like that, that was quite a, a feasible thing. Yeah. When you think back to like when I was younger, I was quite happy to self harm all the time and force my brain into making me do shit just to have some psychological sort of approval. Mm. And again it just it showed up it showed up at that point in time and so i and i remember like driving to work in the mornings just like and i remember just i had my hands on the wheel and i'm driving to work and i'm just like just turn just it's wet turn into the turn into the into the fucking side of the road into one of those poles how many times do you reckon you had those thoughts most most pole I fucking drove past yeah. and I'd get to work and, and, I, and I wouldn't do it. I yeah. wouldn't do it. Yeah. And I'd get to work and I'd just have my head on and I'm like, you, and, it, and then you start judging yourself on that. It's like, you fucking, you start saying shit like you fucking coward. Yeah. You know? And you just head on wheel. And it's just like, why are you fucking? And I just, I think I had a thought as well. Like I had, I had one thought that kept showing up where it was like, well, if you're not here, you don't, you don't get to even dictate their safety at all. Yeah. Who's going to look up? Who the fuck's going to, who, and, and they could help, like they're strong women. Yeah. But I was like that idea, no matter how much fucking power, I was like, I'll, I'll just keep fucking, I'll just keep being here mm. and hot and hot and, and hope and pray that it can, things can get better. And then I think that like, but that thought ran through my head like that, that often, mm-hmm. that often. And, and like, it affected my relationship with my girlfriend at the time. Libido was completely shot. She starts blaming her for not being able to, my lack you. of intimacy yeah. and, um, which we'll go into, <laughs> uh, in my current struggles, but she starts to blame herself. And then I start to not want to be around, the people I care for, because then I'm like, 
them seeing my pain is causing them pain. So I don't want to be around them at all. So then I start distancing myself and I just start seeing my girlfriend like a couple of times a week. And it was just like at a point, you know, like a lot of people can sometimes really, really good at masking their depression. And it's like mine just got to a point where it was just, it was so blatantly obvious. Mm. But I was hanging the, the the threat of me not being here and the pain that they feel, but then also not being able to dictate any level of security was the only thing that kept me around. I was just like, so then I just started to get really proactive really proactive with like looking of of different ways to change my situation I, I felt like i was handcuffed in that situation where i was like i couldn't take a whole bunch of time to go and learn something new or do something that i actually enjoyed mm-hmm. and so i couldn't take time away from work yeah couldn't learn something new couldn't go get it something else so it's like i had to try and start to delve into these different i started to try and do this course on this do this course on this blah blah, blah. just try and Right, and I, I think my hope that something could change grew just from my ability to be curious and start to look outside of what I knew and what I thought. Mm. And the more I started to realize how much I, how, how little I kind of knew and how much more options that I hadn't even taken into consideration. I think one of the big things was is I, I sold the house at a loss. I took that hit, mm. but it was it was well worth it. it. It it was so well worth it at that time. So much weight lifted off my shoulders, so much more upbeat. And at at that point in time, that's when I started to build my online business. It was around about around about that point. Holy, that, that was starting to give me a lot of purpose, and as well at that point, I started to uh, uh, twenty six, twenty seven. Okay, right, so. Around that point in time, I start to, because that's the tricky thing with 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 a lot of you know detrimental thoughts and mindsets. It's just this ruminating, circular line of thinking mm. that never gets interrupted. You think you've you've taken everything into consideration, and there's nothing that can nothing that can stifle that ruminating thought process. It's the same thing, just in a massive circle. Yeah, and the longer it goes on without nothing being able to stifle it and add new to it that could potentially alter or change it, that's when it just starts to get deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think eventually over time, it's like I found things that were able to stifle my 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 circular line of thinking that was really detrimental, mm. you know? Just to be able to go, you've not exhausted all possibility. I think when you, re- when you feel like you've exhausted all possibility, that that feels that that's tough, right? Yeah. And that's a hard thing when you just don't interrupt that that circular line of thinking, that detrimental like a th- line of thinking, but from being curious and, and understanding that you probably haven't taken everything in consideration, right? When did you stop having suicidal thoughts? You know, I, I think um, like when did that shift? I think when I when I when I alleviate, alleviate that pressure, and I actually found I, I felt like I had purpose. Like mm. I, I started to do something on the side. That was a, that was the thing about one of the big things as a, as to how I ended up in the industry I'm in right now was I didn't have a lot of time mm. to commit to trying to do something or learn something or go back to studying. I just didn't have that. Didn't feel like I had that ability. Mm. I was able to do this on the side. I was able to do this in the pockets of my life, and. 
it was something about I was passionate about. It was in health and wellness and all these sorts of things. And it was serviceable to other people. And I was like actually useful. I was useful to people. Mm. My existence was actually of it felt of benefit because I was just yeah. like, you're getting some sort of value from me being in my experiences. And I think when I look back, like what I mentioned before, it's a big catalyst for my success and my influence and and everything was me having an opportunity to overcome my insecurities and my inadequacies and my challenges and my depression. And that's what led, having that was the opportunity mm. that led into what my purpose was. And without it, unequivocally, I wouldn't be where I am. I have the things I have and have the life that I have now if I hadn't experienced that moment. And it, it kind of feels like if you'd, like if your, if your arms were chained to a shovel and the, the key to unlock the chains of the shovel hmm. were just deep, deep down on the ground. Yeah. And the only way to, to go and get the, get the chains off and your hands release on the shovel is to start, is to start digging to the depths. And eventually you'll be able to get there and, and have the, and unlock the key and gain this new level of freedom. And that's what I felt like happened. It's like, I almost had to like my building blocks came from rock bottom. Mm. So rock bottom was like, that became the, the base. And like me going through my hardship eight years ago has what's, has been the thing that's allowed me to have the lifestyle I have eight years on. Mm. But at that point in time, it felt like I wasn't going to be around for eight years. Right. Yeah. So I, I like, I, I, there's no way there's just absolutely without that difficulty at that point in time in my life and being able to learn how to move through it. I wouldn't have the influence. I wouldn't have the life that I have now. I wouldn't have the feeling sense of purpose that I have. That actually was the gift. But to, to see it as a gift in the t at that time. No way. The, the, like, you don't. There's no way you could look at it as you a don't. gift. You literally can't see past, like you got your blinkers on and you're just looking and you're just like, I'm in straight survival mode. Yeah. So when you're in straight survival mode, there's no way you're going to be able to look outside and be like, oh, it's a beautiful day. Oh, it's so grateful. Let's just be this. Well, just be that. positively upbeat. You know what? Yeah. You're not in that space, you know? And it's like, while it's like, me talking about it now is like all well and good because mm. I've been able to, to some extent, have an acceptance of it and, and an ownership of it. And yeah, like it's always a consistent, it's, mm. it's a never ending process of maintaining healthy mental state. Yeah. It, it never stops. You don't, you don't get to a point where you don't have moments. Mm. It, it never gets to that point. And I think people think that that's, you know, that that's a possibility, but, um, at the time I, I didn't verbalize it and talk about it in the way that I do now. Yeah. Right. And so. Well, you never really can talk about it while you're in it. It's, this is the thing about vulnerability, right? And so many people out there and there's, there's coaches out there as well that will be all vulnerable and shit and crying on camera and sharing. And I'm like, yeah, cool. That's vulnerable. But unless you've learned the lesson, unless you've learned how to deal with that, 
then all you're doing is you're sharing chaos. You're sharing things to people and people aren't going to get your message. Vulnerability is actually power, but it's only power when you've healed from the wound and actually nurtured it and then got the lesson from it. And then you can go, okay, cool, I'm going to teach this lesson now. But when you're in it, if you're talking about I'm broke and I'm still broke and this is what I learned, but I'm still broke, it's like you haven't learned the lesson yet. It's like we've got to really check question. It's like where are we coming from right now? What's my intention for putting this out there? Yeah. What's the lesson I want to teach people? What's the impact I want to make? Because every time you may put out something and you might get a totally different reaction, they'll be like, yeah, keep your head up, bro. Keep going. You're like, that's not what I wanted to give. None of that, yeah. I mean, none of that shit works. Mm. And that was the other hard thing. It was like, I think people, when they're, they're around someone that's like going through that stuff, it's like, what can I do? Mm. I can do something. And... Like again, like that—that that was the hard thing. It was like my family were like, my girlfriend and my mum were like, "How do we help him?" Mm. And when it just compounds, it's—it's it's just like they—they they feel a sense of hopelessness. Yeah, and, and you're watching that, and it's like you just—you're trying to snap yourself out of it as much as you can. Snap out of it, like fucking, like you're trying to bully yourself out of out of being depressed. Mm. and it just it just it doesn't work like that it must be super frustrating and painful to watch someone that you love so much and not be able to help them and that was the hard thing then you start to be like well i'm just gonna <laughs> take myself out of your vicinity yeah that doesn't help mm. and it was horrifying like watching my girlfriend just like take so much blame Blame yourself. Yeah. Like I think back and I'm just like, I, I cry on a stage. I caught her out. I, like I, I spoke about it and I'm just like mortified. I was like, and I, I love her to death. Like she's one of the most amazing people. Like we've mm. still got a good relationship. And I just think you, she, she, she blamed, she, she took on mm. a lot of the, and again, I think that's what a lot of people do. When, when when they find themselves with a family member that's going through that sort of stuff. but Or even a partner. It's like you want to be able to support them or help them. Yeah. But look, I mean, I'm grateful that I was able to to, to be fortunate enough to, to have the support network around me and the, the desire to stick in there mm. just to stay in the fucking game. I think it just got to a point where just like staying in the game was like a massive victory. And then like... It was two years after that hmm. from being suicidal to to being to traveling the world, having a job that to having an income I was earning online that was out earning what I was earning in my full time job that I hated. Hmm. Two years, one eighty, another extra year. Mum's retired just from fucking staying in the game. When did you realize you were out of that full? You're like, yo, I'm I'm clean of that. Was it after you? I think you just learn, but you learn better strategies. You just like your your self talk and and the way that you talk to yourself and the way that you question your line of thinking becomes just a lot more effective. It's like I don't think necessarily the frequency of 
certain thoughts show up again. Like I think like in the beginning, I felt like I was going crazier hmm. when I started to take, do this self, self-worth, um, self-awareness stuff. Yeah. Cause it was like an extra voice added in there. It was like, you've got all these voices, but now you've got an extra one. Hmm. And that's now the awareness one where it started to pay attention to things that these ones have never been privy to. And slowly it starts to work away and chip away at all these number of voices that you've got going on. But for a while, there's one extra one. Mm. So there's actually one more voice in your head than there than there, there has been. But slowly it starts to chip away. And I don't think it's necessarily for me personally. And again, this is a personal experience. You have moments, but like, I, I think you just learn tools. Mm. You just learn tools. Um, and again, I think like when I talk to people, and ask them what, what's the number one trait that I hope that you look to develop, and it's curiosity. Curiosity. Mm. I, I think I just maintain a curious, a curious mind. And I think um, there's some days, there's some days and moments where I'm, I'm super flat. Mm. But that you never go back to that place. Well, no. Yeah. I'd I'd like to hope not. I'd like to hope not. But you know, though. The difference is the knowledge that you've got, the awareness that you've got, the emotional intelligence that you've developed through practicing, through learning, through growing, through amplifying yourself, educating yourself. You may have days that were that bad, but the difference is you're not reacting to it. You're not reacting to the old wound like you used to. Yeah. And this is what, this is what um, for anyone watching, it's always going to come up. It's never going to go. It never disappears. No. You just get better at responding. You just get better at dealing with it. And I think this is why, I mean, even for myself, when I think about like that place that I was in in LA when I was desperate and the fear was super real, the same with you. It's like you'll never go back to that place because you learned the lesson. You got the lesson. And as long as you keep evolving and keep learning that lesson and keep, you know, the, like I said, new levels, new devils may come up again and might trigger that, that story again, but you'll be like, oh, okay, what did I learn from the last time this happened? Bring that lesson in, take it with you from your past and apply it again and again and again. Yeah. You get a reference point. And mm. it's like when you've battled through something, like that, you're like, oh, I've done it before. Yeah. Right. How many times? Mm. You know, how many times have you felt like this? Yet you've then felt like this afterwards. Like one of the big narratives that I used to, used to say myself is like, instead of like when shit used to show up or happen, or I think like it was going to get in my way or impede my progress, which most people create the narrative, like how people feel is typically there's some sort of narrative that they created. Mm. And then we just need it. We challenge the narrative and hopefully make sense of it is that I just used to say to myself, I was like, how funny is it that this can happen and you still get to where you want to go? It wasn't how, how fucked is this that this happens and it's going to stop you from where you want to be at, hmm. right? And every time I, I'd resort back to that, how funny is it that this can happen and you still find a way to work it out, you still find a way to move, you still find a way to progress and you still find a way to be able to get everything you want. And that was the narrative that started. And I started to really just practice questioning what narratives I was telling myself, mm. taking stock of how I was feeling. What am I telling myself? 
Will that find, will, is there any other possibility of narratives that could be the case? And are they, could they just be equally as true? And most of the time I'd then be able to go and find one. Mm. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't so much that the frequency of difficult things was happening. It was just the, my, my inner dialogue and my inner self talk. I just, I just developed inner dialogue and strategies that were just a lot more useful. Mm. They weren't necessarily positive. They were, they were useful. And again, it was like, I thought about like a shitty time and then I had enjoyable time. I was like, you've experienced shitty times before and then you've enjoyed really good times. Right? Hmm. You've, that's 100% true. And you, you can go and find it within your life in a number of, it, it, across the board. You can find it if you look for it. And then it's just like, it's, it's a pattern. It's like, yeah. You start to then be able to have empirical evidence like back on your history that you yeah. resort back to and then you create certainty within that, right? So again, it's just like I needed that shit to happen and my purpose was me working out how to move through all my insecurities and inadequacies. And yeah, you fucking, you dig, you, you dig a hole but, and you dig and dig and dig and you dig down and that's what self-development and Self-awareness is, it's, it's not meant to feel, if everyone was supposed to create change for themselves, they would, but why don't they? Because it's, it's meant to be an extremely, you know, sometimes not pleasant experience. It's on, not, on the it's, way it's, of it's the uncomfortableness is, is, is you shifting and know, just know that any, any of you guys that are going through self-development or going through new ways of learning and being that it, it is going to be uncomfortable and that's part of the process of breaking down the layers shifting peeling the layers back yeah so quickly we'll, we'll, we'll chat about like maybe a couple one of the things that we're trying to work on right now so what there's another in here yeah one of the dogs is just scooting around if you can hear a little foot scooting around it's one of the dogs um wait i'm gonna have to let her out because she's about to start going Okay, so what's the big thing that you're you're kind of working on, or puzzle that you're kind of, or trying to trying to work on, or the uh, thing you're focusing on for yourself at the minute? What am I focusing on right now? I'm in a relationship and noticing that things are coming up for me, and I think you know we discussed this in the podcast earlier, but um, discovered something new. I discovered something new, which was um, attachment styles. And I did a test. Well, we um, did a test the other day yeah, over, we did. over dinner. Yeah, we all did a test. Um, and the attachment style that came, like I did the test first and it said it came out with, so there's four attachment styles. For those that don't know what attachment styles are, we all have different attachment styles. And the goal is to become secure, but there's other attachment styles. So there's dismissive, dismissive avoidant, there's anxious attachment or anxious preoccupied and there's fearful avoidant. So you do. And secure. And then there's secure. That's the goal. That's yeah. secure, right? So I did this test and I noticed that, you know, in my relationship, the deeper I go into my relationship and I'm noticing things coming up for me that haven't been prevalent before, that haven't been there. And that's because I've been damn good by myself. And that's where also I was just saying to you earlier, I was like, I felt confident. I'm cool. I'm by myself. I can be by myself. But that's also apparently a trait of dismissive avoidant. 
where you literally just avoid any intimacy or connection because you're like, you're great with the relationship with yourself, but like there's no one there to call you on your shit. There's no one there to trigger you. There's no one there to actually show you the mirror. And uh, in all fact, when I did the first test, I actually came back as fearful avoidant and I read up on it and I was like, and now I, this was just a quiz on, on the computer, right? So, you know, it's not always 100% accurate, but for what I got, I was like, kind of makes sense. Like there's times where I feel anxious, but not anxious all the time. Yeah. And then there's times where I'm like, but I'm totally fine by myself. And that's the avoidant. So there's a fearful avoidant and that's what I got, right? And it was interesting just to notice that because it was like, what happened to make me fearful avoidant? And when I read about it, it was saying stuff like, when you were a child, God. when you were a child, basically what happened to you as a child? Um, something happened. And usually if you're fearful avoidant, then it says something about like there was unstable parents. Like maybe one of your parents was unpredictable or not there or erratic or, you know, so many things. Now, when I think back to my, my childhood, I was like, well, both my parents worked. My dad was very emotionally unavailable. Uh, Mum was super available, attentive, but all I ever wanted was my parent, my dad's approval, acceptance. So there's so many things that come up, and and these are traits from when we are children, and then that plays out later on. And this is where we are. What I've been not, I wouldn't say struggling with, but what I'm dealing with. Yeah, and and I think that's what I get to look at. I get to ch to challenge, and and this is the thing I love about self development is I get to look inside. I get to not judge myself for experiencing that or having that come up. And I used to have a lot of shame for having insecurities. I used to hate the word insecure. I was like, I'm not insecure. I'm confident, and I don't need to be loud and this and that. And I develop confidence, but then I get into a relationship, and I'm like, holy shit, my insecurities are coming up. And I was like, I'm not jealous, not normally. I'm not this, not normally. But all of a sudden I said to myself, when I got into this relationship, I was like, I want to become more intimate. I want to be more connected. I want to do something different that I've never done before. And to have a different result, you're going to have to try something you've never done. So for me, it was like being vulnerable and expressing that and, and even sharing with my girlfriend, you know, that, hey, I noticed this is coming up for me and I noticed this is happening. And uh, I just wanted to share that. And before that, I would never share because if I shared, that's weakness. And if you see me as insecure, what's the fear? You could leave. So mm -hmm. fearful avoidant apparently is you want someone to be close, but not too close, because if they are too close and you open up, they could leave, and that's death. Right? Yeah. And then you've got the other side of the avoidance. So you, you like it's like a pendulum, it's like push and pull, push and pull. You're like, oh, I really like this, I really like this. Oh, the more you get close, the more I get scared. So what, we, what, what was your two primary, two primary, primary attachment styles? Was fearful, avoidant, and secure. Yeah. So, um, I did the test the other night with you guys at dinner, and then I got still fearful, avoidant. Let me pull it up. Mine night. was interesting. 
Yeah, it was. I'm worried I'm, I'm more of a psychopath than I thought. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Or at least a sociopath. So I got I had zero on zero percent. What was it? Anxious, preoccupied. So you got fearful, avoidant, anxious, preoccupied, dismissive, avoidant, insecure. So I got fearful, avoidant, twenty five percent, anxious, preoccupied, thirteen percent, dismissive, avoidant, twenty five percent, and secure, thirty eight percent. But it can be a mixture of all. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're just this or you're just that. Yeah, our friend Gabby, she was quite a, a, a fair blend. She was dismissive. She just, I was 47% secure. I was the most secure. I was category. very surprised. <laughs> I was, and then I, my next one was, because um, the way that we got started in this conversation is because I, I brought up something. Yeah. And you were like, oh, I think you're, um, I th- you might be fearful. I go, well, okay. Well, and I asked you, I was like, well, mate, should we, what what about what I what I said um, makes you say that uh, makes you say that and you go home and it's like oh, do the do the quiz and I, and but I was the main the secondary one was uh, dismissive avoidant mm. how much are you which in? makes a lot of sense yeah well forty seven um, oh, my phone's over there zero um, percent anxious mm. prepared. So I think it was probably, uh, it'd be maybe in the 20s or 30s. Mm. So a good chunk. Yeah. Seeing as I was like 0%. And and the funny thing is like your girl is anxious attachment. Anxious preoccupied was the highest. And that's a motherfucker to someone who who doesn't mind distance. That's with a dismissive avoidant, right? Yeah. So it's like, but it's, it's so interesting. This is why it's like. We get the lessons. It's like, oh yeah, you're gonna be with someone. Like, I want to be in a conscious relationship. Cool. Then let's be in. Like, let's really dig deep and do the work. And this is where it's like you get to own your shit, but also call it out if it's not my shit as well, and not yeah. reject it. Well, that's a that's a that's a big thing. Is like with the with the dis- dismissive avoidant and the. Uh, anxious attachment is like one reads the other one's behavior as like being too needy trying to be possessive and the other one sees the distance as like not wanting to be near me or not wanting to be touched right what's, it's wrong, just what's like, wrong with me and there's like this judgment of like who needs closeness more than and one needs sometimes more distance right but but this is interesting ben because a lot of men out there when women do go chaos or where they do lose their shit or do get emotional what do men do they run yeah they're like I don't know what's going on. Shut down. Now you could say that dismissive avoidance is, or it's like is stop that. Stop, is, stop, stop that emotion. Stop emotions. <laughs> stop those emotions. That's ridiculous. You're being emotional. Stop right? those emotions. And and this is the thing we've got to understand is that it's not. It's learning how to be with the emotions. It's learning how to be with people when they are in that space. And um, I think for men that don't understand how to be with people or women's emotions, what they're going to do is they're going to either shame it or tell them to stop or shut down because they don't know how to deal with it. So it's one of those things. It could be a learned trait, but I think it's also a learned trait to, and and that's the goal to become secure, right? All encompassing. Yeah. So it's like, I don't think you'll ever get to that point in life, but you can, I mean, it's try, you can shoot for stars. It's a constant work. And then different people are going to pull different strings in your life. Certain people are going to pull out certain traits in yourself that you're like, fuck, I've never seen that before. Yeah, I was the same. I was single for seven years. Yeah. 
Just and, uh, full that, dismissive. But that, that yeah, <laughs> that comes with its issues that you that I have soon to to realize that now it's like it's taking some really it, it's it's taking some really committed, uncomfortable type of work for me. Mm. Um, obviously committed to my growth, so I'm, I, I don't mind it. But it, when I notice my body, like we're we're doing doing a um like a course around intimacy and um, sex and relationships and stuff like that. Whose idea was that? Uh, it was Paola's. But I love how you're like, oh, because <laughs> I'd like to be able to say that, oh, you know what, I got in the front foot. But it was like I, I, I'm dismissive, like I'm dismissive around that. It's just like, yeah. um, cause it's uncomfortable. And, yeah. and some of the questions that have been brought to me and things that I've never even pondered that I didn't have answers for mm. that I have no relationship with. And some things I could feel my body. Like I could feel, I could feel stuff coming up on my body, like just tightening up just, and again, I'm, I'm one of those people that sort of uses humor a lot of time to deflect. To, to deflect. Yeah. Um, so I start laughing and I start like trying to make jokes. That's like, that's my escape. Really. Let's just make light of, and, um, I realized that, you know, so much of, of, of what has been a byproduct of me being single for seven years is now something that I really, uh, have to have a committed effort to, mm. to working on because, you know, when you're single for seven years, it's very easy to, I mean, I think we've spoken about this on, on another podcast, but it's very easy to, to draw on intimacy in the very beginning parts of like a short-term exciting sort of thing, right? And um, you start to be conditioned to that and not really being able to access some level of intimacy beyond that or it's more difficult to yeah. harness. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's been something that has been proven to be the case for me mm. uh and it it it's it's taken it's taken some committed work but like i want to like i i want to grow through it like Paolo's amazing with it mm. all like we want to grow through it together like i have to i'm gonna have to grow through this stuff at some point right and and what most people will do is i'll, I'll go look for an outlet to go and blame you as to why i'm going to leave you because you're getting too close to me having to be required to have a good look at my shit yeah Right, so I'm going to go find fault in you, so I can escape this and blame you and have me look like the good guy, and um, I just know that I need to, I, I want to 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 grow with her, yeah, and that means me taking responsibility for for how I show up and what led to it, and yeah. being in control of going and improving it, and um it would be easy for me to just, again, like dismiss it all. Mm. But, you know, I love Paola and, I, and I'm excited to grow and learn this stuff with her. But at the same time, it's fucking, it's so. It's tough. It's so uncomfortable. And it's, un it's confronting. And I think it's interesting because we can do so, many, so much self-development. You can learn and you can read the books and you can read about intimacy, but until you're actually in a relationship, and you're in the actual game, that's where the real work has to be done. That's where you're going to be faced with it. And I think for a lot of us, it's like, great, go and do the work, cool. 
but don't wait until you think you're perfect or you think you've got everything under control before you go and put yourself out into the arena again. By that, yeah, I mean, you can't avoid, like, yeah, you get your challenges in both being single and being in a relationship. Yeah. Like, I was happy being single. I'm happy and I'm, 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 I love being in a relationship with Paola. Mm. Um, I'm the same. I'm totally fine with being single. I have no problem with being single, but I have no, like, for anxious attachment is my lowest. Yeah, I find it easy to be single. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of people find it easy. Obviously, seven years suggests that I'm, I don't mind it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think we're both. I think we're now that we're both in relationships. You know, that stuff shows up like we were talking about before. It's like you eat you eat by yourself, and you're allowed eater. You don't know, and then someone sits but uh, sits at the other side of the table, says, "God, you fucking eat loud." You're Jeez, like, that's fucking annoying. It's like. I never had this problem when I was by myself. Mm. Why are you shying a lot on this? I'm just going to run away from this and be by myself again. So I don't have to, ha- I don't have to have this, but that's like, if you don't want to be challenged to grow, you don't want to grow. If you don't want to shape up and front up to that stuff, you legitimately can't say that you're someone who values personal growth. You can't mm. cause it's not, you don't get to pick and choose what you enjoy. Or get into a relationship with somebody that doesn't actually speak up or challenge you, that you can just be like, cool, I'm controlling everything about this. Well, and then twist it on them. God, yeah. you're just a fucking nag. Yeah. Uh, uh, like you just need to ease up. Like you, maybe you're too high maintenance and this and that, right? When it's just like, again, it's like I'm going to deflect, yeah. put it on you, I'm going to make it you. Um, but I think, Yeah. I think, you know, our environment's just sort of like you own your shit because someone's going to be able to see it. Mm. We're not around people that are not switched on enough to be able to spot stuff. So I kind of think that that sort of puts you in a position to go, be really comfortable at going, yep, you know what. And it is, that's part of your values. You value self-development, you value speaking and walking the talk behind the scenes. So it's like naturally you're going to get a partner that's going to challenge you. And the same with me. I've got a, my girlfriend challenges me in that space, and it's I want that. Yeah, you choose that. I don't. I don't want to have someone that's just going to listen to everything I say and say yes, 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 even though it's nice and pander to you. <laughs> even though it's not. Well, there's no growth nice, in that. There's no growth in it, and in the end, it's like that's where it's like there's no growth. Then there's no fulfillment. There's no reward. There's no going to another level of being. And creating, and I think relationship is about that. It's about relating. It's about understanding. It's about compassion. It's about listening. It's about being with that person through the chaos and vice versa. And I think that's what I value about relationship is is being able to go, I can trust my partner that they're going to be with me whether I'm losing my shit or not. Yeah. And to be able to support me to go to that next level when uh, there is a pandemic. Like yeah. now. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, man. So I think we pretty much hit it on the head with, you know, with both of our past struggles. That was just one of our biggest past struggles and one of our yeah, um, just one. Our main struggles now that we're going through. And, and not even a struggle, I'd say a challenge that's challenging. Puzzles. Puzzles yeah. that need uh, entertaining. Yeah. So, um, but it's all, fun and ga- it's all fun and games when it comes to... Uh, human life and progression and learning about yourself. And it is. Sometimes, well, it's not all fun and games. Sometimes it's. Sometimes you're like, God damn, I'm in hell. 
And it feels like that, yeah. So, but I mean, this is going to be obviously something that we continue to talk about over the time because it, it, we, we are in our process. So we're always going to learn things along the way. Um, again, we spoke about some of the things that we're just, we're just recently learning that we had no idea about as far as like attachment styles and what mm. ours are and what could cause them. So I'm sure we're going to learn a lot more over the time and, and then create an outlet through this to be able to talk about it. Yeah. So you guys, if you guys found this, episode helpful or you had something that come up for you make sure you guys comment below yeah what whatever format but if it's on podcast obviously on youtube or instagram wherever it's gonna be just make sure you guys comment and uh share your wins share your struggles because we would love to hear more about it because it's definitely something we'll be talking about more of as well yeah awesome peace